Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Welcome to episode two of the Steel Moment podcast with me, Michael Lebois. Today's guest is Ben Roy, lead singer of the band Spells. You can find all of their music on Spells Bandcamp page, which will be on the description below, as well as one of the three members of the Grolix Comedy Group here in Denver, Colorado. He, along with Andrew Overdahl and Adam Caton Holland, also were the stars of the show, Those Who Can't. It was on True TV for, I believe, four seasons. <laughs> uh, if you haven't catched that show, you can watch it on Hulu and on your streaming platforms. It's absolutely hysterical. Um, if you know these guys in any capacity, you'll definitely have to check them out. So please check these guys out. And if I could, Ben and I would like to steal a moment. going on man how you doing uh i'm good i'm good um is this light behind me gonna here i'm gonna move seats actually i didn't realize that window was that bright <laughs> it's all good man i had to reposition some things because uh, my girlfriend's actually working behind us so um she's where it oh well let's bother her let's just do it like right <laughs> beside her <laughs> just just I'll, I'll just change the audio out so she can hear everything and has to deal with both of us yeah, my wife is normally working from home too. So, uh, but I didn't realize I sat there and I was like, "Yeah, this is comfy." And then, <laughs> the and then I realized the light is like straight into the camera. Um, right how are on. you? I'm doing good, man. I'm I'm glad to have you on. You're actually technically my first guest, but you'll be the second episode because oh, cool. uh, my first guest had to cancel because her mom decided to surprise her with a birthday dinner. So I was like, "Oh." Yeah, that's way more important than some dumbass podcast with a, a guy who's just starting out. So, um, I mean, birthdays happen every year. <laughs> you know what I mean? And how old is this person? Uh, she will be forty-two tomorrow, and that is information. That is that is public information. So, I'm allowed to say she's not totally adjusted. Like, I don't know. <laughs> my wife, my wife and I constantly get into arguments about about birthdays because she still like really wants her to to be special and i'm like i don't i don't give a shit anymore like yeah but i think it's just a difference in the way we grew up i'm kind of like i, I could give a fuck all about my birthday but, <laughs> but yes, uh, same here man i'm i'm exactly the same way i don't i could care less about my birthday more years than not and uh everyone was like i'm 33 and everyone was like, you didn't do anything for your dirty 30. I'm like, I don't care. It's just a, that's another day in the calendar. It's, what a it's weird name for it. 
What? Uh, what a, and the fact that they call it Dirty 30. Yeah, it sounds awkward and gross, like you're supposed to do something really inappropriate. I don't know. I was getting, I, was getting, I think, I, no. What was I doing? I was probably sober, I think. Because I think that was like the first year I stopped drinking. But, but now, now I just, I did the same thing. I hit 40 and everybody's like, when you hit 40, you got to blow it up. You got to do something. I just, and I, I didn't do anything. But although COVID has kind of made it very difficult. To, yeah, to that, that's been a big part of it as well, I'm sure. We're already recording, by the way, if that's cool. I can mm. edit any of this out early to go. I'm kind of, yeah. one of my heroes is the, the great Chris Hardwick who's kind of taught me to just go with the flow and start recording whenever and yeah, yeah. let it go. So, uh, but the funny thing is, so I was introduced to you through Adam Caden Holland in the Grolics. And I have actually, unfortunately never seen you live or Andrew live. I've seen Adam live a bunch. Cause yep. he's, you know, cause he's, he's that guy. But uh, I definitely like how you guys each have your own unique styles. Um, how did you find your voice in, in comedy and, and when did you really get started? Um, well, I got started doing stand-up in 2003 or four sometime. I think it was like the beginning of 2004, like, like January of 2004. And um, I don't know. You know, I didn't set out to do stand-up. I, I mean, Adam liked stand-up and so were Andrew. They were both talked about being fans of stand-up I was uh, I only started doing it because my wife um, got a job at at the comedy works she needed a part-time gig when we first moved uh, to Colorado together so she took a job and over that next year of her working there I just started to get to know the staff and everything um, so I, I didn't really I don't know about people always say finding your voice but I think um, this sounds hokey and kind of hippie-like, but I think, I think you remember your voice. I think when you first get on stage, you're doing an impression of what you think stand-up comedy is, at least to me, that like I was doing an impression of what I thought stand-up comedy should be. And, and then slowly uh, it breaks you down and you slowly like, you fail a lot and you write bits that are terrible and insensitive or whatever, you know, and, or they're funny and you're like, I really hit gold with that one. Why do people like that one? And then you realize it's because I was being much more true to my, that one felt more natural. And so you just start to strip away and become more, I think more yourself on stage, more like who you are in real life. And uh, that's always, that always helps people connect. So but my influences and things like that were never stand-up comics. They were musicians or, because I always played in bands. I didn't, you know, I've always been in the music before I ever really did stand-up. And that, that's the, the other thing I was looking at too. You've got your toe in everything. You got your pinky toe in acting, got your big toe in music, you know, a little yeah. bit of, little bit of uh, comedy here and there. Uh, I, I did notice that you've been in, I think I read an article, you've been in like 16, 17 different bands. Yeah. 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 It's I, the worst. I, I, <laughs> well, like I wanted to be um, a professional musician. I wanted to play music and, and uh, you know, that, that's a, it's a, a heartbreaking 
it, I mean, that's the worst part uh, about it. I honestly think that that's why I, I worked well with Adam and Andrew is because I'd been in bands for so long that there was a certain amount of understanding you had to compromise on a lot and put up with different personalities. And they're so much easier than other musicians are. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's not a lie in any capacity. <laughs> Uh, you play bass though, right? Yeah, no I play bass, but I also sing. So it's like I have to deal with both the ego of being a vocalist and the meekness of being a bass player. So <laughs> I, I have that balance of, of doing I'm both. I'm surprised you don't explode like matter and antimatter. Those are the two opposites. <laughs> I mean, I've always felt like, a, like yeah. I mean, I, I started playing music when I was 15 and, I, and like I lived in Maine and there wasn't really much to do. And, we skateboarded and our friend, uh, one of my friends that skated played guitar and we started a cover band and then we started an, an original, a band that only played originals and like a punk band. And uh, it was, well, it was a hardcore band. We didn't know what that was back at the time. Right. We were just kind of doing a mix of metal and punk. And then somebody was like, oh, you're a hardcore band. Oh, uh, thank you for giving me my label. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I didn't know, I honestly, I didn't know that I'd never heard the term hardcore we just listened to a lot of punk rock so i didn't know about minor threat or necessarily at 15 years old this was in 1993 or 94 so uh when i first like started playing but it, part of the acting and everything came because in high school i didn't do well in in school but i really thrived in drama i did very well in drama and i did very well in music classes and so I did a lot of acting in high school. In fact, that's what I wanted to be, was to be an actor. But then I got accepted when I was 19 or 18 after I graduated into a professional like theater company as an understudy for like a Shakespearean theater company. And I did like a day or two and I quit. Oh uh, no. Because I just hated the people. I did not like the attitudes. And I was like, I want to be a musician anyway. I don't want to, I don't want to do this. You know, I want to play music so um and, and you you're the front man of spells right and then you yes. also you also play guitar or are you just the front no man? i only sing i started playing guitar the last two or three years with my son because my son wanted to play guitar and he started taking lessons and i was like well i'll start playing with you it was something we bonded over and and i'm and he's a far better guitarist than i am <laughs> But it was the first time in my life where I could, where now I'm able to convey a very rudimentary idea to our guitarist, like, hey, I have an idea for a song, and he's able to do much more with it. But, um, you know, I can give ideas and be like, I like this chorus, or I like this, the sound of this, because I can play very simple um, guitar. But yeah, I, I, I just like performing. I, I've always... And stand-up was the first time I was playing in a band in 2004. Um, and then I, I was playing in a couple different bands in Colorado. And uh, I started doing stand-up as another outlet for performing. And I loved stand-up because I answered to no one. I didn't have to ask other band members for anything. I could write and say and do whatever I want. And because I've been on stage consistently since I was 13 or 14, I just... It came out of the gate doing very well with it, but 
um, and I've said this in a lot of interviews at that point, like my drinking took over and I, and then I had really rough times on stage after that because I was drinking too much and yeah. being a fucking idiot. <laughs> and you've, how long have you been sober now? I know that that's a big part of, of, um, your 2010. transition. 2010. So 10 yeah. years. Wow. Yeah. And that was really like a renaissance of like, I think like of when my standup hit, like a, I, I hit a stride. I was already doing fairly well and people knew me in the Colorado scene. But then at, as soon as I got sober, I got into Just for Laughs um, in Montreal. I was a new face in 2010. And then um, at that time, no one in Denver had ever been uh, selected to go to Just for Laughs. So I was the first one, which was crazy. And I didn't travel, I didn't tour, I didn't go out of the city. So I was Dang. completely like no, new and sober, like seven weeks sober when I went to, to Just for Laughs for the first time. And it was crazy hard and stressful, but I did it. And then, uh, yeah, after that, like this, this kind of floodgate of comics from Denver started going. Um, and it was really awesome. It was cool to, to, to do that. Um, but yeah, I've always, I'm kind of rambling and I do that. So just interrupt <laughs> You're good. me at any point. <laughs> You're good, man. That's the, the nice thing about this is I'm all about the flow of just letting, letting conversation happen. It's not, it's not important of asking a thousand questions and you know, you've done an, I'm sure you've done enough panels with those who can't and, and other things where they're just question after question after question. It's not like that. I, I, I like the discourse and, and having yeah. conversations and kind of plugging in information and things like, for instance, I, when I discovered that you were in a band, I was like, oh, Ben Roy is now my official favorite member of the Growlers. Because uh, <laughs> I, I have been a musician since I was 12 years old. I've been playing bass since I was 12. Um, unfortunately, like I, you know, you, you lose the passion every once in a while. And I had to walk away for almost two years after touring the country, playing it with bands like Drowning Pool and Seven Dust and getting a chance to like see other parts of the country. But I got yeah. burnt out and I just didn't love it anymore. But then when it was gone, I was at like my lowest point. I was not myself. I was super unhappy. I was really depressed. And uh, my mom actually uh, got me into a choir, um, a rock choir that's in Denver. And I picked up my bass again and started playing. I started singing again and uh, helped out a couple other bands in Denver. And then my best friend got me back into singing with a band. Uh, and we added a drummer and another guitar player and turned it into a, a do you love it band. do you love it again now do you feel oh, like yeah. oh yeah oh yeah it, it it still has its stresses as you know being in a band is is similar to you know any relationship you have to compromise you have to find windows to really love it again and being with the group of guys that i am i've known them all of them since like the, the my guitar player primary guitar player i've known since we were in kindergarten his brother is our drummer. I've known him since he was born. And our other guitar player, I was his uh, senior guidance counselor for our fre his freshman retreat in high school. So like we have these lifelong bonds that, that help with the recording process because we can be honest with each other, which I think is another big part of, of any entertainment field. Like yeah. uh, with a group like you, Andrew and, and Adam, I'm sure you guys have to be honest with each other. If something sucks, you have to be like, dude, this is fucking garbage. Like yeah we, we can't run with this idea yeah um, you know it it uh, I, especially 
you know, we'd, we'd always been working together, but, but it was pretty low stakes. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You know, I mean, we did, we did the Grolix live show and we made like web videos that were fun. And I think uh, we all have a very similar work ethic. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you get... Uh, into doing a TV show where there's so much pressure and so much money going in and out, that that was where I really found that uh, our friendship is a lot stronger than I thought, Um, probably largely because we are very different. But we'd also tested it, like you're talking about, with years prior to it of like learning how to communicate. And you have to shelve your ego a lot. And that's a really fucking hard thing to do. I, uh, the, the times where we were the most stressed with each other were when like my ego was out of control and I was like not willing to compromise or bend on something that they both wanted. And we agree like two thirds vote wins. Like there's no questioning if, 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 if myself and Andrew vote for something and Adam doesn't want it, Adam makes his case and then that's it. Like, if we both say, yeah, we hear you, but we want to do it this way, there's no arguing. And we've, we've really actually held to that. There's been a few times where that the other person starts to bring it up, but we're like, what are you doing? You know, or, or one of us will start to argue and we'll be like, I don't know why I'm arguing this two thirds. You guys are already voted. So yeah, I, our friendship got us through more of that last, that four years or five years of doing the show which I no no hyperbole was the hardest thing I've ever done. Is it because you guys were going back and forth between Colorado and Los Angeles and also working on, you know, script writing consistently as well as working together to try and make this thing happen? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a part of it that's the actual quantity of work. Oh, man, um, I can imagine. You know, like, I mean, it's just you're working all year long, which is great, actually, the cool thing is, is that some of us are more suited towards other parts. Like that we found that we complemented each other in that respect. Adam is very, it's much more writer's room oriented than, than myself or eight. Well, Andrew's very good. Um, but uh, so Adam and Andrew both really thrived in the writer's room. They loved being there that five or four months before we actually shot anything of just being in the room with the other writers they were very regimented and disciplined. I'm sitting in a room and like, I'm, t- I'm very ADHD. Part of the reason I like performing is I'm on my feet and I'm moving around a lot. Right. And uh, so they really thrived in like keeping that discipline. 
But on set, that was where I liked to be. I liked being around the cast and crew. I liked creating an environment. Because you do as the show creator, you create the, the vibe on set. You create the attitude. You, you can be huge dicks to everybody around you, which you're allowed <laughs> to be if you want. Right, because it's your baby. Yeah, or you can treat everybody with respect and try to create an environment that's, uh, that feels like we love our cast and crew like we did. And um, that was where I really loved being around the people and I loved being in front of the camera. I think Andrew likes being in front of the camera but doesn't like being in crowds. And yeah. he's very nervous. Like, he's kind of an introverted person. And Adam is kind of a shows up, does his parts, and leaves kind of a person. Like, he just does his stuff, and then he goes when it comes to that kind of stuff. I like being there all the time. I love the environment. And so we really balanced off each other in that respect. But, no, it was, a, the, the, it was outside of the actual work that was – there's a lot of controlling of personalities. There's a lot of silencing of voices – getting their input in that you have to be really good at. There's a lot of trying to figure out what battles you want to pick. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's the same thing with music, you know, but it's on a much lower scale when you're dealing, when you really get to a point where you're dealing with millions of dollars. Right. Then at that point, it's like, I, I think that that's probably what bands, you know, I have friend, some friends, a few friends who are in very big bands that have, a lot of responsibility and their lives are not what you know right think well yeah and the, i mean speaking from experience in the touring life like even being the bottom bitch band of the entire tour like we got signed on to jump on this tour to a get some promotion but we still had to pay our our debts like financially and then pay our debts physically we were the crew of the show which meant waking up at 10 a.m. when we got to the venue, get off the bus, unload the trailer, build the entire set for the main act, have them do their sound check. The other two bands in front of us then had to bring in all of their gear, which was all of our gear. Uh, right. <laughs> they played all of our stuff so that we kept it down to a minimum because both of them were from out of the country. You then play your, you may or may not get a sound check. You play your, your 30 minute to hour set, however long the venue decides to give you. You're then off stage, you move all of your gear off stage, pack your gear and keep it off to the side. Wait until the other band set is done, clear the entire stage, pack it, pack it back in the trailer. And by the time you're done, it's two, three in the morning and you're ready for bus call and you're asleep. So you don't really yeah. get to enjoy the, the, the flavor that everyone thinks of, of what rock and roll is sex drugs yeah. and rock and roll, man. It was like exhaustion, sleep deprivation in a shower every fifth day. If you, we were lucky. I mean, I tell people that all the time. I mean, even the small tours, I mean, I've never done anything that big. And even the small tours we do with spells with, you know, just club tours with, with, we've done some with where the clubs are filled every night because the band is relatively popular. And I mean, you're only in, we were only in one place for, for like, you pull in to that place, you unload and go in, play your show that night, and then you go to bed and then you get up and you drive to wherever you're going next. Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe when I was younger, I could have stayed up and partied like fucking hell 
till six in the morning and got two hours sleep and then got in the van again. But I can't fucking do that any at all anymore. You know? No, I can't either. I, I mean, I have, I love playing live. Like it's one of my favorite things to do, but I am actually at that point now where I'm happy if we're like the eight thirty slot so I can be done at, at nine forty five, <laughs> have my car packed by 10. And if I'm not, you know, and, no offense to local bands and no offense to any other bands ever. I, I've been notorious for this and I totally admit it. If I'm exhausted, I'm going home. <laughs> I'm yeah, going to yeah. stay for the whole show. I'm not, I'm not 23 anymore. And I, I, I know that about myself and it's one of those things. But the funny thing is also you get to live what a lot of rock stars want to be that, that I, I forget the comedian long time ago, uh, Dana Carvey, every rock star wants to be a comedian and every comedian wants to be a rock star. Yeah, you know, yeah, like, uh, I never got to, you know, I have so much more with music that I would love to do that I never got. I feel like I, I did something really amazing with, uh, comedy. I, you know, I always joke with people that I'm the, I've done a, a lot stand-up wise. A lot of people, I think I've, pivoted a lot more towards a lot of other different things. And so I think as of late, because I was living in LA, I became less known uh, around Denver for standup, but I've done a lot with standup, got to do TV stuff and, and I've been to a, a ton of big festivals. And uh, I, then I got to do the TV thing, which was a really cool dream. And I would love to do it again. I would love to, I think I know how I'd like to do it. Music, I feel like I still have things I would love to do, but I know that that clock is dwindling. Um, music is hyper concerned with your age. And, you know, I mean, that's just the way it is. Um, but I started to feel like this year, 2020, we were doing a lot of different things. We were touring um, and starting to play more festivals. And I was having a blast with that. <laughs> And then, and then 2020 leaned over the edge of the boat and shit all over everything. <laughs> this whole fucking year can go and fuck right up. Oh God, so, it's been a fucking nightmare. That is, every, that is the biggest part of it. How do you think uh, that's going to affect uh, the entertainment industry, this whole COVID situation? Like, are we ever going to have, like, in terms of, say, comedy works, or local venues are we ever going to really see a, an opportunity for them to recover in your opinion i think we i think yeah i think it won't ever look the same i think much like polio and tuberculosis changed the we don't know you know we've just adapted to the way things are certain health uh standards that are held to now i i think this will um this will change certain things. I definitely think live stuff will come back, especially once a vaccine is developed. The problem is now it's, it's that the US is so uh, polarized on um, where we stand with like masks and vaccinations and things like that. It'll be interesting to see how many people, you know, actually uh, are willing to go through with being vaccinated for COVID, it, there's a lot of unknowns. The internet is this huge question mark right now. It, it's really thrown like, it's able to completely change what, anything you've seen in historical precedent. You know, you'll be like, well, historically people have done this. And then the internet's like, 
<laughs> just the second. I haven't, I haven't added my two sets. I haven't Ugh. shaken the snow globe yet. Yeah. And so uh, I have no fucking clue uh, how that's going to, but I think, I mean, we're already seeing more live shows with stand-up coming out. A lot of people are doing them um, outside. I think you're going to see during the summer months a lot more outdoor venues. I think uh, they're going to be, you may see less of people sitting so cramped. Maybe yeah. that'll be the thing that with comedy clubs, because people think that there's part of wanting to make as much money as possible and put as many seats as possible in a comedy right. club. But the other part is that people sitting on top of each other is great for laughter. And the tighter and narrower a comedy club and the more they're crammed in, I know immediately the better the show is going to be. Like, that's just stand-up. That's yeah. just rock and roll, too. I mean, Oh, yeah. If everybody's nuts to butts, that's packed. That, like, that show's going to go off most times. Yeah, and that's, uh, those are the shows that are the best ones because you have the energy of the people who are not only fighting to see what's going on, but they're kind of like fighting for their own little space and making it more entertaining. And, and I think that's feeding uh, off that movement of other people, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. And that's so. also why I think Comedy Works Denver is so popular with a lot of comics all over the country is because it's got that narrow, packed, bunker-type feel that kind of brings that, that energy because it's, it's, it's the best it's the best comedy room in the country i mean i've done and i'm not just saying that because it's my own it is when that room is packed full of people sold out show dollars to dollars sold out show in another club that ranks the same way no room compares to comedy works downtown that is the best room that room gets rocking you can't it's almost too easy like their comics as comics, we joke when that room is packed, there's a point where you're like, that's not that funny. Like, <laughs> it's not that funny. That joke wasn't that funny. Right. But it's, it's the contagion of laughter. It's that person next to you starts laughing and you feel them bouncing. You laugh. You just, it's because laughter truly is contagious. It's something that we can watch and we start doing. We don't, you know what I mean? Somebody smiles and you're looking at them. And staring at them and you're like <laughs> yeah like this they start going like what are you what, what, what are you what? doing yeah <laughs> yeah and before you know it you're laughing and it and it's the silliest thing but it is like it's a contagious thing that's why some comics who are absolute shit look like fucking pros at the comedy works when it's packed you'll see them and you'll be like that guy crushed that girl crushed it doesn't matter i that room is so fun and easy and it rocks and it's going to be weird to see. Um, but I, yeah, I, I don't know, man. This has been the hardest, hands down, the hardest time of creatively of my life. Like, uh, this is just, there are some days I get up and I'm like, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. And I don't know what I'm doing it for. You know, we're, we're right. writing music. We're like, well, we should try to write more music. Because maybe, you know, you can record right now feasibly. Yeah. I just I mean, did. I mean, I had, I did, we just tracked two brand new songs this last month, but the problem is, is he's so backlogged from not being able to do it that our engineer's been like doing so much. He feels like he's a bit overwhelmed catching up with everything. So I, yeah, that's exactly it. Like you can try and be creative, but how much time do you really give yourself to be as creative as you can be when you have so much time on your hands? Yeah. I, I I also, we were, I was talking to a, a friend of ours, it, um, it's actually my son's girlfriend, 
her dad is mm-hmm. a is a psycho it's like a PhD in psychology or something. Okay. And he's doing he's a professor and he's doing a class on stress. And the positive basically stress gets a lot of negative, but also the positive, like if you can harness stress and how to cope with stress, there's a certain amount of creativity that's born out of stress. Like that's born out of the hustle and bustle. That's born out of once you get that steamroll going of like being busy, you're very creatively active. You know, you may be stressed by it. You may be like, I'm exhausted, but you're still churning out work. What's funny is this. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lethargic torpor that, like, kind of comes over you during a time where I don't know why I'm doing it. I'm not aiming towards performance which as i said is what i i truly love to do is be in front of people performing uh it's i start to wonder what i'm doing it for like i'm creating things but i'm like well, i'm not going to show it to anybody i'm not you know like how do i show it to people so it's very difficult <laughs> it's uh to find purpose yeah and and for humanity in general one of the things i learned in the one educational psychology class that I took when I was going to be a teacher, uh, which is why I relate to those who can't very well because I I didn't make it. Uh, (laughs) The, uh, the idea is, is not necessarily giving someone a task. It's giving them a task with a time limit or an end in mind because human brains are trained to reach a goal or reach a point. So like if we don't have a reason to be doing these things creatively, really, if we're just doing it to create without an end in mind or a target in mind, it kind of becomes a mundane process that we just keep doing and doing without even really thinking about it. And eventually you're creating something for nothing and you feel like exactly like you're saying, it turns into this kind of lethargic situation of like well why the fuck am i doing this in the first place yeah i mean it, it and the thing is is that like um a big passion of mine is jujitsu i love brazilian jujitsu i got into it for my anxiety and for my self-esteem a long time ago and and now i i teach fundamentals classes i tell my fundamental students all the time that i think goals are dangerous because with something like jujitsu um when you achieve a goal it's like eating a meal you know like you get there and you feel that satisfaction for a short time but just in another very short amount of time you're going to be hungry again for some other new goal and jujitsu is filled with so few goals really 
that it, you have to learn to truly love the process. Right. And I think that that's the problem with stand-up. And music's different. Somebody sends me something or I'm always playing my guitar or like trying to learn to play guitar or singing on my own just for my own enjoyment. But television and stand-up, I was always hyper-goal-focused and oriented. I was always looking for some end result for it. Um, or setting something in my sights that I wanted to attain with it, that now that I don't have those, I, I, I struggled to write them because I'm wondering why, like, I did it for the Grawlix live show or because I had some TV taping thing or I'm trying to sell a script. I really didn't do that stuff because I truly loved it. Right. Um, I, loved, I loved performing and that was, that was a means to that end, to that end. But now, like, during all of this, I found I just want to do jujitsu all the time. I just want to write music. Like, I wait for, like, our guitarists to send us a new riff so that I can, like, dig in and try to play around with a melody or, like, writing some lyrics to it or something. Because that's the way I, I, from 14 years old, that's the way I knew how to cope with my problems. You know? Yeah. But stand-up wasn't that. It, it came later in my life. It wasn't a coping mechanism. It was a way, parts of it were, definitely vetted some demons doing it. But I, I would more write more honestly with music, with lyrics and with a song than I ever would with stand-up. I can definitely agree with that. I feel like the songs that I consider the best ones I've ever written, mm -hmm. in particular, are the ones that are the most personal, the ones that kind of hit home um, and, and really play with the emotion and and are just right and, and it's that's the other difference too for me and i agree with you in the sense of uh your view of stand-up and, and television is like the, i was very goal-oriented with music for a long time and i achieved most of my target goals with music in one particular project but for me in particular it was when I found out that it was a part of me and it was something that I truly loved and passionate, I was passionate about, I was comfortable breaking out of my normal genres and trying something different and, and really exploring ways to use my voice in different ways, um, play an instrument differently. I picked up a guitar for the, like a, an actual guitar, not a bass guitar. The four string idiot stick is my forever instrument. <laughs> um, but picking bass up an actual way guitar. way harder than people give it credit for. Exactly. Yeah. Being a bad bassist is very easy. Being yeah. a, a good bassist is extremely difficult. Like that's a, that's a finesse instrument, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Cause I actually, so funny story about that situation. Um, I actually started on bass, which doesn't happen very often. My brother played guitar uh, for like six months but when I was 12 years old, I asked my mom for a bass for my birthday because my mom or my brother had a guitar and I was like, we're going to be Van Halen. This is going to be awesome. And then yeah. he quit. And I was like, ah, well, we're I'm going to stick Halen. with this. This isn't awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and and so up? I, we broke up before we even started. It was bad. Yeah. Uh, but that was the thing. It's like I had always been a performer. I always sang. I enjoyed it. And I, now I had this instrument that uh, I wanted to learn how to play. And I can definitely now tell the difference between someone jokingly being a failed guitarist who got demoted to bass versus a guy who actually cares about the instrument. And you can hear the difference in how they're played. It's yeah. really, really interesting to see. And so now that I 
like have a passion to play it again. I, I play it a lot more. I do it a lot more. I, I've been trying to play with different genres and, and seeing how that affects the way I write with my band. I mean, because, you, and I think that, and I mean, I don't know for sure, but you've, you found your love for it again, yeah. you know, and that's, and like now, if something rad were to happen with this going forward and fingers crossed, I hope it does for you. Now it's something like that happens. That's fucking awesome. I think you'll appreciate it more. A hundred percent. And when it's gone, you'll still probably realize, you know what? It, it's, it'll suck. It'll hurt. Everything stings when it's gone, but you'll be like, doesn't, you know, you'll rebound and be like, I still can play music. Even if these big opportunities, I, I was speaking to a group of people like, um, for that youth on record. Yeah. I, I was like one of the speakers one year and I was telling them, I was talking about music and I was like, everybody more knows me for, for stand up and for those who can't. But, um, I, I talked about like my love of music and I told them, I was like, I've never made a dime off my music. And I, and I was, and I told them, I was like, and if all of you in this room are lucky enough, neither will you because right. It won't be fucking ruined. Like the business of things often fucking ruins. Like it, it sours your taste. Everybody, I had that with stand-up and with, with TV, like, or with stand-up was this amorphous goal of like, I want to be successful at this. The problem is that I never defined what success in that industry was for me. So every time I got somewhere where somebody else some other comic may look and go, this, that, you just were successful. That was, I'd be like, nah, it doesn't feel like it yet. And, it, and, it, and all you do is you just try keep pushing that wall back more and you keep taking on more stress to the point where I had a fucking nervous breakdown during the second season of making our show. I, I like ended up in the hospital and I was making more money than I'd ever made in my life. And I was fucking miserable. And I, uh, and now I come back and I play and I travel around with spells in a van. We make absolutely nothing. We're losing money on a tour. <laughs> I come back and my emotional cup is completely full. I look around and I'm like, man, I could do that every day of my fucking life. Some of those shows, there were five people at. Oh, dude, no joke. Those are the, and sometimes those are the most fun because yeah. those five people are totally into it. Oh, they're 100% they invested. Yeah, you know, you could have a whole room who's giving you, like, there have been times, usually if a room is packed, you're going to have a good time. Yeah. But there are definitely some crowds that are fucking terrible. And they, and they turn their back on you. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Fuck yeah, those and people. They're, <laughs> and you're, they're not into you or whatever. Or they're yeah. too cool for school. It's like, they're just fucking, we've seen it all. And <laughs> Los Angeles, every show <laughs> in Los Angeles. Uh, but every show in Los Angeles sucks. They're the worst fucking crowds. Um, for music, stand up, they're great crowds. But, um, but like, then I, we played a show. We had so many great shows on this last run, this last tour we did right before, in, in February before COVID really hit. And like, but my favorite was a show in Boise where there was, there was like the PA didn't half, didn't work. It was in this weird storefront venue that looked, it was an old donut shop that these punk rock kids were doing shows in. Okay. The median age there must have been 17. They were all super young. And it was just fucked from the ground up once we got there. I mean, we weren't even sure 
that we were going to do it. We played it. I had so much goddamn fun. And another one in spells, like legendary spells with our show was we got paid to go to Casper, Wyoming to do a show that they were trying to set up in this massive theater, like with a bunch of other bands. No, no one showed up. There were, uh, this room held, must have held 550 people, this oh, like, small theater. Yeah. There were, it was only people who knew the other, no one bought any tickets. There was no one there. And we had everybody come up onto this massive stage that was there and we just played. And that went down, we left laughing. Like, <laughs> yeah. We went swimming that night, we had a great time. The show, like everybody was moving and dancing and like, it was just this probably nine or 10 people on stage. And it lives on in our hearts as being like, that was what we do. Like, we'll play packed shows here in Denver. You know, we have good turnouts. We're fortunate. Or when we've toured with other bigger bands that fill the room, those are great. But that one stuck with us as like, there was, everybody was connected in that moment, you know? And yeah, um, you got to learn to love it for what it is. And that's why I think jujitsu is so important to me is because I have no goals with it. I'm not going to win world championships. I'm not going to be a professional jujitsu <laughs> athlete. I'm 41 years old and I'm, and that's not going to happen. I love it because it's beautiful and it's pure. And even when I lose, I love it. And I've got to find that again. I think, I don't know about you, but I've got to find that. I have to find that again like you did with your music, I have to find that again with stand-up and with TV stuff. Right. Because like, I, I do want to create. I just have to, like, and I want the opportunity to do it again. I just have to find a natural love of it, if that makes sense. Or Oh, yeah, 100%. I, I completely relate to that in a lot of ways, like finding that passion for it again. Have you still avoided the cauliflower ear uh, oh, through yeah. jiu-jitsu? You're still good yeah, there on both sides? Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. all right. I, I you know... Um, I've discovered that I think it's a gen, it's certain body types. Cause I've seen some people who have done it all their lives. It's also a certain type of, um, type of jujitsu the person does. Okay. If you if your jujitsu is heavy into wrestling, yeah, which is why wrestlers get that. Um, there's a lot of grabbing of the head and I'm not a good wrestler. I tend, I tend to be, I, what we call in jujitsu, a guard player. Yeah, where I'm on my back more. And so my head takes less shots from being like, you know, they kind of, yeah, they they collar tie each other, you know, but that shot when somebody grabs your head is like a, it's a shot to your ear. And I don't, I try to avoid taking a lot of those. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, this sounds weird. And I don't know if there's any science to this. So I want anybody who's listening who may listen. I don't know that there's silent science to this or anything. It seems like people whose ears are a little further away from their head, <laughs> they get it worse. My ears stay pretty sucked close to the side of my head. Yeah. I don't know. It's a blood flow thing. I don't know. I mean, my ears hurt some after training a lot. They fucking yeah. hurt. But I've, they've not really got those, knock on wood, those big ones. Or anything. Yeah, I've, I've been lucky to keep mine close to my head as well. It makes it easier for in-ears, that's for sure. Cause Did the- you do wrestling or were you jujitsu? Uh, I actually have done zero martial arts. I took a karate class for about three weeks with a guy in high school. 
who thought he was going to be uh, the Mr. Miyagi to my Daniel son. But oh, uh, really? it, it didn't work out for me. I, I just I never had the, the discipline for it, uh, to be honest. I probably would now if I ever thought about doing it. But um, those I, are a lot different. Karate, yeah. that's why I didn't like karate, because it was like it was a lot of katas and and like forms that were you like repeating motions and movements over and over again that you had to memorize. And that just was not um, yeah. jujitsu is it's jazz, you know? Oh it's, shit. <laughs> That's a great way to describe it. It's jazz compared to the other. It is a free flowing, like they, you know, that's what we say, the flow, find the flow, like find your like style, find your like way of doing it. There are very real fundamentals. Same with music, same with jazz musicians. You have to know the standards. You have to know the fundamental basics of everything. But once you get there, it's your it's your game to develop and your way of doing it to develop. That's why I like it. We don't do forms. We don't. We'll drill a move. We'll drill with something, and then you roll. What we call randoria rolling, mm-hmm. and that's just to me expression or experimentation. And if you don't have an ego and you can go and and with the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blues? Uh, you're going to discover a lot of really amazing things within it. Um, that's why I'm like a cultish member of it. Cause I, <laughs> I could talk about, I should start a jujitsu podcast as well, just cause I could talk about jujitsu for hours, but anyway. So, yeah. So there's a, there's a couple things I want to ask about that sure. in particular. So how long have you been practicing jujitsu? What's your, uh, what, uh, what's your rank, I guess is like, is it belt ranks in jujitsu as yep. well? Yeah. Um, and how I have not, picked up the patreon yet for uh grog saves the world so i haven't seen adam v andrew yet but i've listened to it and it sounds like the slightly most hypersexual incident between the two of them i've ever heard you mean um, the, the huff and puff the huff and puff day. yeah what well, uh, how how much fun was that to watch two of your arguably two of your best friends essentially beat the beat the crap out of each other in a roll Okay, so like to answer that question first, uh, from the point of view of somebody who loves good jujitsu, it was very painful for me. <laughs> there was nothing enjoyable. There was nothing from somebody who likes seeing it done well and seeing it done um, efficiently awful. It made my stomach turn. Um, from a point of view of, of having worked with both of them and them being two of my closest friends, it was so deeply enjoyable. They were like two, two little brothers. They literally just like ran at each other and muckled onto each other and then fell over. Um, but yeah, that was, it was amazing. No, as far as I, I started in 2000, right around the, a little before I started doing standup in 2003. But I started doing um, Japanese jujitsu because I didn't know that there was a difference stylistically between Japanese jiu-jitsu and Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I mean, one begat the other, right. but 
the evolution of what Brazilian jiu-jitsu is, it's a much different martial art. There are similar movements. You know, it's the same as a dialect or a language splitting off and becoming very hard to discern. It's the same thing. Like, I was doing Japanese jiu-jitsu, and then the first time I went to a submission wrestling school or a, or a Brazilian jiu-jitsu school, they beat the dog shit out of me. Like, it was... <laughs> I thought that they were mad at me, that they were trying to kill me, uh-huh. because we just didn't train at that pace in Japanese jiu-jitsu. And they train at a much more aggressive pace in Brazilian jiu-jitsu regularly. So they spar... That's part of the reason why it's done so well is that um, what we call randori or open rolling or wrestling mm-hmm. is part of every class pretty much. I mean, pretty much every class once you're at a certain level is, is live training where you're actually trying to choke the person out or submit them. You know, So you get very good at doing things at speed and uh, um, as far as rank, uh, so in jiu-jitsu, there's five belt, white, mm-hmm. blue, purple, brown, and black. And then depending on your school, most schools, there's degrees within that. So right. there's four stripes on white, and then you become a blue belt, four stripes on your blue belt, then you become a purple belt, and so on until you become a black belt. And then there's nine degrees or 10, but no one, there's no 10th degree black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, I don't believe. Um, this ninth, but they're like members of the Gracie family or whatever. Right. But, um, so I am uh, two stripe purple belt. So I've done white, blue, purple. But by the time you're at purple in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, a lot of time it would be what judo calls a black belt. Okay. Because by the time you reach like a black belt in judo, you're considered like you've mastered the basics of it. Like you're considered somebody who probably you teach a class like in jujitsu. If you attain purple belt, you're called coach in mm-hmm. class. Like um, it take, it's taken me six years to get to, to purple belt. So to get a black belt in jujitsu is generally on average, not all the time, about 10 years. So, um, so I'm about six or seven years into this so next belt would be brown and then black and okay. so i'm halfway through my purple belt but at, at this point now like i get to teach fundamentals i have a they consider that you have a solid understanding of the martial art now they from purple brown and black is like like um less about learning the fundamentals and more about a establishing a game and getting purple belts are notoriously known in Brazilian jiu-jitsu to be like the overzealous, overconfident Ronin who comes in and yeah. just like, you know, decimates everybody below him. But then the higher belts beat the shit out of him with very clean, efficient, while the purple belt is trying to spin upside down and do all kinds of crazy complicated techniques that they learned online the brown and black belts are just like controlling them with their hips and laying on them and like (laughs) they're like black good black belts don't use it like most of them don't use it they're very efficient you know they've stripped their game of all of the kerfufflery and extra things and they've worked to a very efficient game and um so like now i'm 
the problem is it puts a target on your back because once you start moving up all the lower belts and you know we get people who played football and rugby or wrestled and they just want to beat the shit out of you you know because they're like oh i'm a white belt i want to i want to tap out a purple belt or a brown belt or whatever right and once you get higher everybody just wants to hurt you more <laughs> and i'm like i'm just here to learn too like i i've just been here a while i don't know but yeah. um i'm i just i was this is heavy but i i've talked publicly about it i was i i, I when i was younger i i was experienced some sexual abuse mm-hmm. and i because of that, I think um, I was very like soft. I was a very like, I've never been like a tough guy. And I wanted to be tough after that because I was afraid that people would know something about me, that they would, I grew up in Maine. I didn't want people to, to know what happened. They didn't, I didn't want them to think that because there's a lot of homophobia in Maine. And I was like afraid that people would, your masculinity is currency in a place like Maine. And so I tried to be tougher, what I thought being tough was, and it looked goofy on me, you know? And so yeah. when I came and I moved to Colorado, I really wanted to take a martial art because I wanted to be tough. And in martial arts, I found uh, that I don't have to be tough anymore. And I don't want to be tough, but that's not who I am, you know? Like, that's what I learned through martial arts was that I'm not tough. Like, and that's okay. Like, I, martial arts taught me that I'm kind of, I'm an emotional, nervous, kind of goofy person, you know, and I'm, I'm mouthy sometimes, you know, <laughs> but for the most part, I'm not like, I don't, I don't like violence. I don't like fighting. I don't want to be part of any of that. And it's funny that it took going into martial arts for me to dis- to discover that in an odd way, you know? Yeah. And I think it, it's more for martial arts, at least in my experience with it it's more about the discipline than it is the actual violence of the sport and it that's how you can tell the difference between those who are really good at some of those aspects and some of them who are not and what techniques they choose to learn I think jujitsu sounds like a sport that's more about positioning and delicacies and finding ways to use the person's aggression against them like body positioning and things like that hyper minutia oriented and that, and I love things. That's why I like riding motorcycles because it's hyper. You have to be super focused on what you're doing. And same with jujitsu. If your hand is in the wrong place, if I have the wrong grip at the wrong moment, my I'm getting passed and the person's taking my back. So like there's so much concentration that by the end of it, I haven't thought about my anxiety or insecurity for an hour. You can't, I joke, it's yoga with consequences. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's, that's, that's really cool. I'll have to remember that one. That's, yeah. Cause that's it's, awesome. uh, it is, there's consequences. It's stretching and meditative. Uh, but if you come out of that, you're going to get fucked up. Somebody's going to take your neck or get, put you in a wrist lock, which hurts worse than anything. Being wrist locked, having somebody <sighs> yard on your wrist hurts both physically and emotionally. Like yeah. there's, a, there's a feeling like you just caused me to quit because of literally this portion of my body. Like from here up, you, I have all of this still left to fight with, but I gave up because you submitted this part. So, uh. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Well, hey, we're, uh, we're closing in on time right now. Uh, if people want to catch up with you or, or find you anywhere, uh, where's the best place to look for you? Instagram, Twitter? Yeah, at Benroy00 on um, Twitter and Instagram. I have Facebook, 
uh, it's, you can just find me on Facebook, Ben Roy, and I have both the, the fan page and my personal page. And then Spells, my band is at spellsrules.bandcamp.com uh, or www.spellsrules.com. But um, yeah, man, I'm, I'm glad that I could be here so early on in your podcasting, uh, in the nascency of your podcasting life. You're just a, lee, a wee little podcast. I am a wee little podcaster. Ironically enough, this podcast has taken me four years to get off the ground. So ah, You're doing it now. Yeah, and that's the only thing is I've realized that I held myself back for so long. And um, to be honest, it was myself getting in my own way, which is really common for a lot of people. And I think when we realize that we are the primary roadblock and it's no one else's fault but your own, you can throw excuses to anybody you want. But at the end of the day, if you're not willing to put in the work and do the work yourself, go fuck yourself. It's yeah, on yeah. you. Yeah. Uh, and I have, my girlfriend's been super supportive. I mean, I'm, this is her apartment and, uh, I've been here through the pandemic this whole time. Like pretty much we, it we are looks a like a nice place. I see you're both, you got the chaise sleeper behind you. You got yeah. the, the chaise lounge and you got a, it's a, it looks like a nice place. It looks like a big open bright space. Yeah. And you know, it's in downtown Denver. So I've been able to kind of experience some, some of the aspects of downtown. I'm actually right down by the comedy works, which is really nice. Oh, so, that's perfect. So I, if I ever need to sneak into a show, I can. <laughs> me up, dude. I'll, you don't have to sneak in. I'll just give you comps, but, but uh, Do it. like you're a really good interviewer. Keep doing this. I mean, you're very like conversational. It makes it easy. I'll tell you from a point of view of somebody who like um, does this fairly regularly, both like going like the radio stations before club weekends or whatever, or just doing podcasts, keeping it loosey goosey and just like talking about whatever and seeing where the conversation goes is really fun. I mean, that's what most of us live for. Cause when, when like, when it feels hackneyed or whatever, it's a little, for me at least. Personally. Oh dude, I totally agree. And I personally take my cues from, uh, the podcasts that I listen to that I really enjoy. And also it should be a conversation. Why do I need to ask you a list of standardized questions that are, you know, sanitary and boring and that We're you've Furbies. had to answer it? Huh? Humans are Furbies. You put two of us face to face and we just go, <laughs> you know what I mean? We just start talking to each other. Exactly. Man. Recorded a lot of times there's some interesting shit that comes out. So, <laughs> Oh, totally. And, and, and the other nice part about it is, is, this show is going to literally just be about the people I'm talking to and yeah. how I can relate to them and, and what they're doing. Like I, I don't have a fucking standardized format for any of this. And if I did, I would feel like I, I was trying too hard or putting too much into it. So I appreciate yeah. you being on Ben. It's been Dude. huge, man. Thank you so much. Uh, I'm going to try and get your two cohorts to come on as well. Yeah, uh, and I'll then, tell them, I tell them we had a good conversation and they should do it. So definitely, and, and then I want to get all three of you on and we'll do like a newlywed game where you guys have to <laughs> answer questions about each other. Uh, we already kind of did that in an odd way with our show. Oh, that's right. Oh, oh shit, I forgot. No, 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 it'll come up. No, no, it just hasn't been out yet. So don't oh. worry about it. But, but um, Andrew knows quite a lot about me. Oh, no. I think he's been admiring me. Oh, no. I think it's the Fairbell in him. It's just it how is. it is. He's got a crush on me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ben. Thank you so much, man. Take hey, care. You rule, man. Thanks for having me. Always, man. Take care. Later. Bye. Each and every episode is brought to you by Ether's Oath Clothing. Ether's Oath is a great rock and metal design 
company from Joey Reddick's of Gunpowder Empire and his wonderful girlfriend Z. You can find all of their clothes and masks during this terrible time at ethersoath.com. That's A-E-T-H-E-R-S-Oath.com. All music on the podcast is provided by the band Mosaic. You can find them on Spotify or on Instagram at mosaic underscore band underscore official. All artwork is provided by Patrick Creasy from the band Red Queen. You can check out his band on Spotify as well as the band's website, redqueenband.com. Also, take the time to check out my band, Gunpowder Empire. We have a band camp at gunpowderempire.bandcamp.com. You can find all of our singles and our acoustic EP on Apple Music and Spotify. Thanks for listening. It almost feels like someone else is living my life. Cause it almost feels like